we need to get together and let our voices be heard. This is Buffalo What's Next. I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jaipal Valenza. And I'm Thomas O'Neill White. After May 14th, how can we afford not to talk about race? About education, about segregation, about humanity. Since the dawn of this nation, racial violence has existed. The way we have designed our society has a big hand in what occurred in that Topps market. The suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. We need to make sure that we put more funding in our programs that help prevent gun violence and more money into art. If we're going to have some real healing, we've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truths. On Buffalo What's Next this morning, we're speaking with Nakaya McCann. Nakaya, Buffalo raised, Buffalo native, is the host of the NPR podcast Embedded, Buffalo Extreme. Nakaya, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Nakaya, we have to talk about this. It, it's an interesting merger of a couple of experiences for you. One is your involvement with BASE, which is the uh, Buffalo All-Stars Extreme uh, dance team, cheerleading team, more of that. But also, uh, the NPR people reached out to you as well for you, asking you to take on a real tough topic. And that is, of course, talk about uh, the May 14th massacre at the Jefferson Avenue Tops. Can you kind of explain how this all came about? Um, this all came about because I originally did um, an interview with New York Magazine, and I was I had like a short literally like not even a full paragraph entry into it and um Miriam McCune found it and she read it and she's like you know I love this girl let me try to find her uh she reached out to Ayanna Williams which is which was my cheer coach at the time and then she also tried to reach through my school as well to try to find who I was because I didn't really um put my name out there anyway so she you know, went on that search and she just kept pushing and pushing until I finally, finally said yes. <laughs> <laughs> and let's talk about who you are. Just let's go back a few years. Born in Buffalo? Yes, I'm born and raised in Buffalo. Where'd you go to school? I went to school at Tapestry Charter High School. Um, and now you're a college student. Yes, I am a college student. I go to Virginia State University. I'm entering my third year um, there. And it's also the added a little bit of a, a complexity to this whole uh, putting this podcast together because you're a college student, you're talking about things in Buffalo, and of course NPR uh, headquartered in, in Washington, D.C., so that made yes. for things uh, a, a complicated way of doing it. Were you, uh, when, when they first contacted you about maybe doing something like this, what was your initial reaction? My initial reaction was, there's somebody better. Um, I felt like there was somebody that can be more deeply connected to it than I was because I didn't directly lose anybody um, due to the May 14th shooting. So I was like, you know, there's better people. There's somebody else. Like, you can get somebody closely related. Like, I don't think I'm a good person for this, and I really haven't been into any media. Like, you know, all I know is cheer. So I'm like, you know, <laughs> how can I speak about something like this and turn it into a podcast? So. It was a lot of it was a lot of months of like you know I'm not really sure I'm not really comfortable I don't think I'm the right fit. At the same time though, the gym where you worked out where the where base was out of the base for base we should say um, was right in the neighborhood uh, and also if I'm not mistaken put you in the neighborhood on May 14th. Talk yes. talk about your experience on that day. Um, 
on May 14th, me and my mom were actually supposed to go to Tops before we went to base. Um, we, My mom ended up taking two or three wrong turns, and she was like, you know what, forget it. We're going to go to Tops after we come from base because we were already late anyway. So, you know, when you're late, nothing really goes according <laughs> to plan. Yeah. Things just keep, you know, kind of snowballing. So, um Honestly, us by by us missing those two to three turns and only under like five minutes, and us getting to base, uh, we missed the mass shooting by five minutes. We could have been in the parking lot, or we could have been inside of tops as well. Um, and then as soon as we got to base, you know, from missing those wrong turns, and we immediately got in there, like not even five to ten minutes later, like a base parent was like, "We need to lock the doors. We need to close the doors because." there's a mass shooting at Tops. And Tops, um, the way that Buffalo is set up, there's a lot of different ways that you can get to the store. And by going to base, you can honestly take a couple streets and you're there. So um, on that day, it was a lot of just shooking up emotions because it was like I could have been there. And then we just took that initial reaction of fight or flight and we locked the doors and put the girls in a room where there were no windows. Let's uh, also talk about that. I mean, you're a college student and a coach for, for base now. Um, but like you said, the, the girls were there. These are in some cases, some pretty young kids, right? Yes. Um, most of our base, you know, base starts at about four and it, um, you age out at 18, which is your senior year of high school. At that time, it was our registration day, so we had girls and parents coming in and out all day. Mm. Um, there were new girls and old girls as well. So that day, uh, when it happened, base at the time was made up of all glass windows. You can see in and you can see out. So we were kind of in that situation where it was like, we don't want anybody to see us. We don't want anybody to know that we're here. So if somebody does, like, you know, there was like, we didn't even know if there was one shooter or two. So we were like, you know, we don't know if anybody could come over here. So we lock the doors and we put them inside the gym because the gym has no windows um and that was scary because it's like you don't really prepare for that and then it's little kids asking you those common questions like you know what's going on or like what's happening and it was like we don't have any answers so how did you did you handle it with them i mean were you trying to put on a brave face or um, could they see that there was something I had to definitely put on that brave face because when I looked at my mom and then I looked at, you know, Coach Yanni, their faces were blank. Like, they didn't really know what to do. And that put shock and fear in me because I'm like, you know, this is my mom and this is my coach that's been coaching me for so long. And usually they have the answers. Like, I can ask them most of the dumbest questions and they'll have the best answer. You know, and I was looking at them and we were both looking at each other like, kind of like an eye contact thing, like, what do we do? Kind of talking through eye contact. And it was weird because I'm like, I'm a child, you know, still. Right. I don't really know what to do. And at that time, I just circled them up and I just let them express what was going on, what did they think was happening. Because it was like, we can't really go out of our way to fully express what was going on because we don't even know what's going on ourselves. So I had to put on that brave face and be like, you know, I have to suck it up and try to keep this still a fun day for the girls because registration day is a fun day. So we tried to keep it as orderly as possible without trying to still sugarcoat it a little bit. So I had to put on that brave face that was like, you know, if nobody else is going to step up and say or do anything, then I have to. It's interesting because where you're just talking about first being approached by NPR about doing something like this, you're saying you weren't really affected, but you really were affected. I mean, you were right there. You were right in the middle of all these these young children, and 
trying to make sure that they stayed, stayed safe yes. as well. So it it shows you that, the, the, and I think it's obvious for the most part, but just how widespread and impacting in this community that incident yes. at Tops was. Yeah, and I never really realized, like, you know, that I was a good person to do it until I actually sit down and I break it down, like, you know, it's it's kind of weird because it's like, you know, you don't really prepare or expect, you know, to have to be brave or have to put on a, sh- like, you know, a face and be like, you know, especially with a whole bunch of kids in the room, you know, and I'm a kid as well. So I was looking at my mom like, you know, that that kid in me, like, what do I do? Like, what what what's next? Like, you know, those rhetorical questions came up a lot. Right. We're talking with uh, Nakaya McCann this morning. Nakaya is the host of the NPR podcast Embedded. Buffalo Extreme. It's, oh, I guess, a way of, I'll describe it my way. You can try to correct me here. Or please correct me. But it, the, the podcast is, in one way, it's a look how the impact of 514 was through, though, the activities of BASE, this yes. cheerleading dance team as well. So we have a full year that has gone on since then. And so that's what the podcast does, right? It kind of yes. takes us through all of that, right? In short three episodes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so base things have changed for base since yes, May fourteenth. A lot, yeah. Talk about that. Like you were talking about the location that you were at on mm-hmm. May fourteenth, two thousand twenty-two. Base isn't at that location anymore, right? Base is not at that location anymore. We are not on Main Street. We are um, we are at a different location. We are on Michigan now. Um, it's still kind of close, but it's not as close, you know, from before. Um, that gym is way bigger. The This gym feels like ours um, a little bit more. We have our name on the um, building as well. We have a, you know, base logo. When you walk in, it's just base everywhere. You know, it was like that before, but it was because last time it was kind of we, we crammed our little base, you know, love into one building. And then it's, this time it's like that love just radiates through the entire gym because it's just so big (laughs) like you know the girls have two floors now instead of one the dance studio is basically completely separated now and there's more you know materials for them um to get better skill wise and this location is is better and we don't really some of the kids um to the location change doesn't really remind them of staying over there um, of Main Street because Tops is so close. In order to sometimes some of the girls where they live, in order to get to Main Street, they have to pass Tops. You don't really have to do that anymore going to Michigan. How about for you? You're a coach now for base. When did you get involved? Um, I actually been coaching since I was a part of base, but it wasn't really like a thing. Like it was kind of like on some playing type of thing. It was like you know like. I'm seeing my mom do it and my coach do it, so I kind of wanted to do it. But now it's more of a thing where it's like I'm actually serious about it. I'm very invested into the girls' skills and um, home life outside of base as well. You know, coaching was never really – I always said I wanted to be a choreographer, but I was like, you know, coaching, no. (laughs) (laughs) I see the way it stresses my mom out and my, you know, my coach that I call my aunt. Like, you know, so I was just – coaching wasn't really my thing, but I did take uh, care – I take care of the babies now. Okay. Now, let's talk about your coach, who you refer to as your aunt. Yes. She is the the, the, the yes. leading force behind base, <laughs> yes, right? Yes, she is. What is her name? Her name is Ayana Williams. And Ayana, I, the part that I was listening to, um, interesting about how often your team would go to competitions and unfortunately was often judged or perhaps cast aside 
because of skin color. Is that yes. right? Yes. Um, during the time when base started initially, it was 2013, 2014. So around that time, there were no really, there was no representation of black cheerleaders or black cheerleaders, you know. So we, it put us in the mindspace of, you know, we don't really belong. And then we also, when we got there, like, you know, our confidence like rocketed down. Because really? There were, yeah, there were teams that like, you know, gave us a side eye or like a dirty look. There were, com- you know, comments also made about our skin color or our ability. You know, so there was things that was just like, you know, oh, like it's a black team walking in, like, oh, the black girls are here. Like, you know, it was it's a thing that is just kind of like when you look back at it, it's like, you know, a child shouldn't have to go through that. when All they want to do is come here to do one thing that they love that everybody's coming to do, which is to cheer. You know, we had to go there and kind of put on like a face that was just like, you know, it doesn't affect us. But in reality, like we would sit down after that and be like, you know, that's not right. That's actually very wrong. There was times that um, we also have judges that were like, you know, our moves were too provocative just because of, you know, some of the girls' shapes and, you know, that we just have a natural groove. So, you know, like there <laughs> there was just things that were just like out of out of place, you know, and it, it didn't make it any better because we were young. So now that I, you know, I was getting older, I'm like, you know, like this is not right. You know, we come here to cheer and people are looking at us like we don't belong. And uh, so you were younger when that first yes, happened. 2013, 2014. You have it yeah. in perspective to, to a certain extent now. But maybe uh, just like you said, it, you, your confidence went down? Yes. Um, my confidence for me went down because I really didn't grow into my skin color until I got older. So when I was younger, like that just made it even worse because I was already kind of insecure anyway because there was no representation of black cheerleaders. So you're going to a competition where you don't see anybody that looks like you and then everybody's looking at you like you don't belong. So it's kind of like, why should I keep cheering? Or like, why should we be here? Like, can we try to find competitions where it's more black, you know, black cheerleaders or black coaches, even a black judge? You know, there were times where we went to competitions where it was just like, we didn't see no color and we're just like big elephant in the room. Like, that's just how it felt for us a lot. Like, during 2013 and 2014, it was really hard for us. I liked what you said, though. You hadn't yet grown into your skin, your mm-hmm. skin color at that time. <laughs> Can you talk to me about that a little bit? Take us yeah. through that, if you don't mind. I mean, yes, I know this is very I personal. Don't mind. Um, when I was younger, uh, growing into my skin color was kind of hard for me because um, I do have another side of my family who is white as well. Um, and given that, it was... I always kind of been like, you know, the eyeball because of my skin color. You know, you, you, you're you around all these people that don't look like you. And I, just my confidence in general and also social media. We didn't have social media where it was like, you know, black girls were praised. You know, your curls are beautiful. You look beautiful. So if you see negative things like that on social media and then you are also going to an outlet, which is cheer at the time. Um, cheer was my outlet. And then I'm also hearing those, you know, backhanded compliments where it's just like, you know, oh, you're pretty for a black girl. You guys look you guys look actually really good in that red. And it was like, you know, do you really mean that? Like, you know, like, what does that mean? You know, or they would be like, you know, I'm glad we have a team like you guys here. And it was like, you know, what do you mean? You know, mm. um, so those backhanded compliments and just also just the low self-esteem at the time, too, because I'm. I'm young. You right, know, you're I'm at that age where, where things <laughs> yeah, like, like that. You know. Things like that are weird. I'm just like, you know, 
what's really going on. Like, you know, I'm here to cheer. Like, can we talk about how I could do a hill stretch and you could do a cartwheel? Like, you know, why are we basing this around black versus white? Um, and at that time, I just felt unconfident. And then also, at the time, base, we do pride ourselves of natural hair. Like, if we didn't have braids, then we had our puffs. And it was like, it was to the point where I was like, I don't even want to wear my hair. I just want to get it braided up for the whole season. Like, just keep it braided. You know, and that was also discouraging for me because I didn't know how to handle my color or my natural hair. And it just kind of made me, like, insecure because it's like, sure. what else, you know, what else do I have look, to look forward to if when I go to a cheer competition, I'm, you know, I get looks because of my hair or my color, you know, and that just put me down even more. So what made the difference for you as time went on? You just grew up or, I mean, um, or were there, were there significant, like, Maybe a person or something that you um, saw or read or anything. Auntie like Yanni, honestly, because really? <laughs> it was like she was a loud person in the room. I've never seen anybody that can rock a mohawk cut at the time with bright red lips and red, white, and blue eyeshadow and own it. Like <laughs> it just be red, white, and blue out. And I was just like, you know, she used to wear her hair out all the time. So I'm like, you know. Why shouldn't I? You know, this is so my coach. So she's a role model for Yeah, you. she's definitely a role model. She's not only just my coach, she's my aunt. Like, you know, I've we've built that bond, you know, on the mind and outside of it. Asiani and also my mom are definitely responsible of why my self-esteem is a little bit higher. Um, they they do preach. They were preaching to us, like, you know, your skin is beautiful. You, My beautiful black girls. Like, you also hear that in the podcast. She's been saying that for years, you know, and... As I was getting older, I started to feel it a little bit more because we were going to competitions where it was like, okay, we see some, we see a black team, you know, they're kind of far, you know, they came a little far, but we know we see them. And it was like, you know, more representation definitely just made me more confident as well because it's like, you know, I see you, you see me, you know, we would cheer for them and they would cheer for us. So it kind of felt like a connection type of thing. And then Atiani and my mom just, put it into perspective to us when we were like when they were coaching us that you know we are beautiful we come here for one thing your skin doesn't define what you your ability on the mat you know but let me just tell you that you guys are beautiful so they definitely put that into perspective for me and what's your mom's name my mom is trina washington all right so <laughs> so there are a couple of characters yes on the podcast yeah but the team is also there are there are characters from the team and there are a lot of nicknames yes. on the team including you you have a nickname right yes i do what do you go by sometimes it depends on what we're with with the honestly the situation is. okay uh, sometimes you might hear my name big baby that's one of them <laughs> um i definitely do take that sometimes you definitely hear kai or kaya um Honestly, my aunt calls me her niece, her beautiful black niece. That's what she'll call. Or um, um, sometimes, it's on occasion, my mom won't call me by my name. She'll flip our name. She'll t sometimes she'll call me like Auntie Yanni because we always say Auntie Yanni has a daughter um, close to my age as well. And we both say, like, you know, we're switched at birth. I was supposed to be Antiani's <laughs> daughter, and her daughter was supposed to be my mom's. You know, like, in a good way, because it's like I kind of act like her, especially in a coach's way and in an athletic way, and her daughter acts like my mom, you know, and coach in athletics. Hey, um, back to Antiani, mm -hmm. I'll just call it. Um, what kind of coach is she? she? She's someone that pushes hard, hard, hard all the time, and then a soft glove afterwards. How does how does she go? Um, how does she do? How would you analyze her coaching style? Asiani's coaching style 
honestly to other people, it sounds like she is the wicked witch from the West. <laughs> but she is not. Like she has her reasonings on to why she pushes us so hard. And I'm I've always said this, like I'm extremely grateful for the way that she has pushed me. Cause there's some days where it's like I don't want to go to class. I don't want to get up. And then I hear her in my mind like, get up. Like you need to get up. And I'm just like, okay, let me get on my high like let me get up. Um Antiani is definitely one of those coaches where it's like you definitely have to get used to her yelling. Um, she yells a lot. I'm pretty sure if you heard the podcast, you can hear that as well. But her yelling means well. It's not like she's yelling because you're initially like you're horrible. You're in trouble. It's like, you know, you should be worried when she doesn't yell. (laughs) (laughs) Yelling is her definitely like her love, her love for you. If she doesn't yell at you, it's like, okay, let me try to do something to get back on that yelling side. You know, some people like to be on the good and bad side. And I feel like with Auntie Yanni, her yelling side is her good side. So she's definitely one of those coaches that's gonna push you and want you to be the best you can not only on the mat but outside let's uh, talk then about some of the other characters or members of the of the base team as well and some of the some of the nicknames that we have out there tell me about some of them um we have hamster we have a couple like mike's daughter (laughs) we have a couple that are just like um susie with the good hair we also have a couple sallies um honestly auntie just blurts out names and it just becomes your name honestly it's like I'm just going to answer because that's my name now. Uh, sometimes she'll often forget your real name because she calls you your nickname just so much. She sounds like a, a real coach. A lot of coaches yes. I've known <laughs> over the years are like yes. that. Yeah, it takes a little time to get to, to, does, get to know and does. appreciate what they're all about. We'll get right back to our conversation on Buffalo What's Next on WBFO. Check out the Our Town series produced by WNED PBS, but captured by community members on the Buffalo Toronto Public Media YouTube channel. Ellicottville is a town of variety, not only in what they have to offer, but the people. The Burlington community is uh, becoming increasingly multicultural, and the library is reflecting that. Parks and playgrounds have been what makes the town of Tonawanda a great place to grow up. The series began in 2003, but it's making its debut on YouTube now. Although some of the businesses and people may have changed over the years, the spirit of these wonderful towns remain the same. We just didn't realize what we had in our own backyard. We need the next generation to protect it and carry on. Learn about Jamestown, Burlington, Welland, East Aurora, and more than a dozen other beautiful communities in our region by watching the Our Town series now on YouTube. I I would live there. WNED Classical has been conducting interviews of their own on YouTube with the classical music community. Have you ever wondered what goes into the performances you hear on WNED Classical? Head on over to our Buffalo Toronto Public Media YouTube page to see the collection of interviews that we've orchestrated. And be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next one. This is Buffalo What's Next where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. We're talking with uh, Nakaya McCann uh, this morning. Nakaya? A Buffalo native, going now to Virginia State uh, University. 
uh, but also the host of the NPR podcast, Embedded, Buffalo Extreme, for just joining us. Uh, uh, the podcast talks a lot about uh, the base team, uh, the uh, cheerleading and dance team here in Buffalo, but also uh, reflects us back to uh, May 14th and how it has impacted so many people here in the community. And uh, they've kept Nakaya very busy here over the uh, the last year. We talked about how things have changed for for the team, but the podcast takes us through a lot of the ups and downs of the of the team over the last year, doesn't yes, it? Yes, it does. So let's uh, let's review a little bit. We're going to encourage people, obviously, to go check out the the podcast yes. for themselves. But give us a little taste of what what went on for Base over the last year. For the last year, Base has honestly been through a roller coaster that's just nonstop. Um, the first roller coaster was the mass shooting, and um, a lot of our girls live in the surrounding areas of Tops, you know, that east side area, you know, um, just common areas. And a lot of our kids also do either live or directly, you know, across the street or two blocks down. Um, given that, a lot of our girls either one stopped coming because it was just like, you know, they there's a coming. lot of, yeah, it yeah. was just a lot of high emotions going on for a lot of them. And then, um, Aside from the mass shooting, we, Antiani decided to close that gym because of safety. And there were girls coming up to her like, you know, I don't want to come back and I don't want to be at base if we're going to be at Main Street. And she was just like, you know, I was already looking into a gym, so let me just get this together. But you can't just open a gym in a right. day and right. expect it to up and run, regardless if you have 100 girls or 20. You know, um, and given that we moved gyms for five, for five to six months, they didn't have a gym they didn't have any mats they couldn't train the way that they were supposed to and they couldn't get ready for competition season so it also set them back for competitions um all-star cheers all year round but for them this year it was very very cut short because they didn't have a gym um and then during that time we had went back to square one which was the crucial center for us um which is no mats hardwood floor we had to share the gym with the dancers and the cheerleaders and also it being just a community center, we had to share with other people. So it was like, you know, there's about 150 people coming in and out, whether that's for cheer, dance, or just the community in general. So we had to go back to that. And then competition season came. And the first competition, you know, it was good, but, you know, we knew they could be better. But there were just things that were definitely in the way because their mental still wasn't in it. There was a couple girls on the senior team that couldn't compete because their academics. There's a couple people on the senior team. Academics, so yeah, their academics were in the way as well. Oh, you know, so, so it was. Asiani wasn't going for that. Oh no, Asiani <laughs> and my mom were definitely not going for that. And um, you know, they had their fair share of that. And we also had the the overcome the fact that these girls were not okay either. You know, right. we expect children to move on because it's like you know, you're a child. You don't really understand or you don't know. But in reality, um, just us prepping them for future and success, we definitely had that turnaround and blow up in our faces. Um, those girls are very emotionally intelligent. And that's what I've learned doing the interviews, that they were truly impacted through it as well. That's what I learned throughout this year, not just from moving. So let's, let's explore that a little bit, if you don't mind. What um, were some of the things that they were saying to you? The interviews were kind of hardcore for me because, you know, I'm usually in the hot seat of being a big sister, you know, for them or like just looking up to them in general, you know, they're looking up to me. Um, but in this situation, I was kind of more on the side of 
actually listening and talking to them, not only about cheer, like, oh, like, do this to make your jumps better. Now it was like, you know, how are you? Mm. You know, what's going on? Like, how do you feel? And were you picking up on cues where people were, like, sometimes we say, how are you? And you, know, you might get, oh, I'm good. Yeah. Or I'm all right. Or I'm all right. <laughs> Those but, are the answers that I get, the normal basic answers, which is, you know, I'm fine, I'm cool, I'm good. And I was just like, no, I had really? to. I had to definitely kick in those um, podcast things, you know, those interviewer things, which was like, you know, oh well, why do you feel fine? You know, like those. I had to keep coming back with questions with them because just one one worded questions weren't working. Like you know, just the how are you, and then I got the blunt blunt answer of oh I'm fine, mm-hmm. and it was like no, you know. So I had to keep pulling that out of them. Um, I just had to keep asking questions back to back to get the answers that I wanted, which was, I want you to tell me what's really wrong. And then it also just made it way better because I'm their big sister. It's not like they're talking to like um, my mom or, you know, Auntie Yanni. They're not talking to a parent. So they were way more open as well. You know, some of the interviews we, like Milani, for example, it only took like one interview and she was full on open. But there were other kids that were just like, you know, I have to keep talking. I have to keep going. You know, we did interviews with Nysir like twice, three times because it was like the first interview was just so like, oh, yeah, I'm fine, I'm good. And I'm just like, that's not how, I know her. That's not how she sounds. That's definitely not how she performs either. You know, I just had to keep coming back. It was like, you know, I'm not going to give up. And I know that they feel some type of way because it showed through their cheer performance. So oh, so you could see that. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Um, what did you see like, when you say their cheer performance? What was missing? What can you that, see? How can you describe honestly, that? Honestly, for a cheerleader, especially an all-star cheerleader, you get based, you get scored and judged off of just your performance in general. Like, even though you did the skill good, you have to perfect it. Like, you know, you have to basically fit the part and look the part. You know, you can't just slap lipstick on a bow, uh, lipstick and bow on somebody and expect them to go on the stage. It was kind of like we expected them to have lipstick and a bow on and put on a great performance. And then it was like, I'm used to this girl having the best facials and the like, you know, like just that high energetic energy. That's what you're supposed to have when you're a cheerleader. You want to put on a, a show, you're a performer. Um, but it was like dead, like their faces were dead, like a lot of stuff that they love to do, like normal, you know, motions that we've specifically made up for them. They were just like super just like not lazy but it was like you know this is not you you know so what's really going on right and what were you what were you finding then like, so what's really going on what what what, what were people it sounds like you it sounds like you really have the interviewers yeah. uh, touch when it comes to, to digging but then what what came up of, of those conversations what, what were came you hearing up out of those conversations was you know one well like milani she was just like you know I still feel some type of way. I watch the video and mm. I still see, you know, sometimes when I have to, because she has to go past tops, you know, every day. She's like, when I go past there, I just remember the video. And I'm like, that's not something that you should remember. And then it was um, with Nysera. She was just like, "I'm my feelings are hurt. You know, she also did lose somebody uh, related as well. Um, but she was just like, you know, I don't, I'm not feeling okay. You know, I'm not feeling okay at all, actually. I want to tell you what's wrong. And she told me, she was just like, you know, I don't I don't even want to go to a funeral. Like, I don't want to go to Tops. I don't want to go to base. I don't want to go anywhere. Why should I have to go somewhere where I don't feel comfortable? Then um, some of the girls were also involved in schools where it was just like, 
even after that, there were like silly pranks, like, you know, oh, well, I'm going to come up to your school and do this. And then it was like, they also had those feelings of where does the safety begin or where does it end? They didn't really know what was going on. Like when I had the initial circle sit down, they were just like, I'm scared to go to school. I'm scared to go grocery shopping now. I don't want to go to Wegmans with my mom. I don't want to go to Tops at all. I told my mom to keep me home when we go grocery shopping. And it was like, no, like it's, those are the things I started finding out when we started getting into it a little bit more. Those are not answers that I got the first time around when we did that initial circle up. So it took them a couple months to get like deeply embedded in their feelings. And I was like, you know, let me try talking to the girls. And that's just really where it all jump started. Wow. It, it, it's, it's interesting to hear how you're saying that it's not a surprise to hear that young people are, are impacted, but yet at the same time, we're not necessarily hearing mm-hmm. from the young people of, of Buffalo right. about this. You know, we've, I mean, we've had, we've done dozens of interviews here, obviously, <laughs> with a lot of different people, and we've had um, great conversations about it, but young people. I mean, these yes. are the people that we need mm-hmm. to take over next. And that's, the, that's the exactly why um, I said it a couple times, like, in the podcast, um, their voices need to be heard. You know, nobody, I don't think anybody expected it to have a ripple effect on the younger generation, whether that ranges from ages 6 to 18. You know, nobody really thought about the kids afterwards. It was kind of like adult feelings, you know. It was a type of situation where it was like, you know, only adults could feel this way. And it was in reality, it was kind of like I was seeing it firsthand at base that it was like, no, these kids are, they feel some type of way too. You know, I also feel a way. And there was just other people like friends or like, just people on social media that were also posting, it was like, I feel a way. And it was like, nobody's listening to, like, the kids. Nobody's listening to us. You know, our voices are so small compared to an adult. You know, and it was like they never had the opportunity or the chance to be like, you know, I was impacted, and I want to tell the story. So, How are the girls doing? Are they? Do you sense that, I don't want to say improving, because that's not really the right (laughs) Right. word I want to get to, but that they're moving through these stages? Do you sense that? Yes. um, Some of the girls are definitely moving through, you know, the stages of grief, and they're definitely um, moving through positive stages. Like, they've been picking up, you know, Cheers, their outlet, but they, excuse me, they've also been picking up things like, you know, art and poetry as well. Like, they've been picking up music. Um, So they've been finding things that have um, helped with their coping as well. You know, it's sad that they had to go through something them to feel like they have to pick up other things to feel okay um but some of the girls have definitely taken this and kind of like flipped it like milani um and rakaya they have flipped it in now uh, rakaya she writes poetry mm. she does you know flag football for school uh, milani she does plays and you know she also does art and things like extracurricular um, our little girls, you know, some of them did have a little bit of a strong feeling, but not like, you know, too much, too much. Cause they are still like between the ages of four and like eight. Right. But, um, they've also been like, you know, more, a little bit more high spirited. And that's also because that comes from us doing the check-ins with them at practice and outside of practice. We're talking with, uh, Nakia McCann this morning, uh, Buffalo. What's next host, host of the NPR podcast embedded Buffalo Extreme. Thank you very much for uh, joining us here on uh, Buffalo What's Next. I, I, if you don't mind, I'd, I'd like to get into it now because uh, obviously there's a lot of serious elements yes. to this story. But at the same time, 
There's also a fascination for me about the process of putting this podcast together. Mm-hmm. You're from Buffalo. We're talking about Buffalo. You're down at school at Virginia State. Talk about what it was like producing this podcast. Oh. What? How was? How was this accomplished? I mean, I know how hard it is just to do this program every day with three of us trying to trying to run it. Yeah. Um, I can't imagine what this was like. Honestly, it was really hard. Like, um, when I talk about it, I definitely have to take a deep breath because it's it's something that was not built overnight for sure. Like, there was nights where it was like. I'm up all day doing schoolwork and I'm also up doing backtracking. Like I'm, I'm tired, <laughs> you know, like there was weekends where it was like, you know, I do want to go do school activities, but it was like, I really want to do this podcast. I don't really care about missing, you know, parties or anything like that. I want to make sure that this podcast was out. The process was such a long process. Like even just when they first pitched it to me, honestly, I was just like, you know, I'm already knowing this is going to be hard. Like, you know, I had my doubts about that too. Um, they kind of made it a little easy, but not really. You know, they <laughs> no. worked around my school no. schedule, but it was also <laughs> like, you know, we have a job. We have to get this out. You know, like it was like, you know, there was hours of taping. There was hours of conversation. There was sometimes there was times where I had to take breaks in between. That's just like, it's too intense. You know, there were times like that. The initial process of it is just, it felt like I went through the alphabet, A through Z, <laughs> honestly, like, I went through every, you know, emotion. I went through every, like, mental challenge as well and just physical. I'm not used to really talking in front of a microphone and having it, you know, in my face when I say anything, you know. And also, like, just the personal effect of it. Just we're not used to having any type of media or anything or, you know, I'm not used to having to talk with, you know, my aunt and my mom with uh, a microphone. And also just getting those interviews too was really hard because they're in school and I'm in school I'm out of state so it was like you know whenever I had time to I was like you know I had this free weekend let's go to Buffalo let's try to do this you know um so you and a producer would come to Buffalo yes the um yes she would um and it was hard because it was like on days that I was like completely free they weren't and it was like days that um uh they were completely free I weren't and then just me having to come back and forth from Buffalo and then I went to a competition and then I went to Florida. It was really hard trying to balance school and the podcast because it was like, there's no way I could make this 50, 50. (laughs) It was kind of like a hundred percent and a hundred percent, you know, I can't fail school and I can't fail this podcast. So it was like, you know, it was a constant, you know, battle of trying to balance everything. Um, And it's, it was definitely hard because it was nice where I was like, you know, I have to do my schoolwork early in the morning just so we can get this all done by tonight, you know. And also when I was coming back to Buffalo, we had times where it was like, you know, we're meeting at 11 a.m. And I wouldn't, we wouldn't get done recording and taping and getting everything together until 12 a.m. Like the next, like, you know, 12 a.m. Like those are full, you know, shifts. You know, there's breaks in between, of course, but nobody expects you to record in that much time. Then I only had probably like, two to three times where I was in the studio. Most of it was Zoom work. Most of it was just trying to get in person, in person, but most of it was Zoom work. And the other half was like recorded tapes from them and recorded tapes from me. And they sent me with a recorder and I'm just like, what do I do with this? You know, like, um, what's going on? Like I was hearing about levels and I'm hearing about different words and vocabulary. And I'm like, okay, 
I see what this is going to be. It's definitely going to be a big roller coaster, but I'm ready for it. It was one of those roller coasters that you're not scared of. It was kind of like a a kitty roller coaster, but it wasn't like it was just like that because I wasn't it was like a kitty roller coaster, but it was like with a huge ride. Like it just was an ongoing Kept going. One. Like it just was the fear of it being a huge roller coaster, but in a kitty manner. <laughs> so gotcha. that's just kind of how it felt. And then you actually went down to the NPR studios yes, in I Washington? Went, yes, I went down to NPR studios in Washington for three days. And out of those three days, we worked. Like, we worked. I was in the studio um, recording. I did interviews. and But they made it a very comfortable process. Like, if I didn't want to talk about anything at the time, that was a free space for me not to. There was also times where it was like, you know, if I need a mental day, I had a mental day. There were... Um, when I was in D.C., they made it very comfortable for me. Like, Raina and Andrew, they definitely made it very, very comfortable. Like, just the whole schedule in general. And also just seeing how NPR honestly works is kind of weird, too, because it was, like, people working below, and it was also people working in the studios. I'm walking past studios. Um, there's things that I listen to on social media that is based there, like the tiny desk. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, I was kind of fangirling, definitely. <laughs> and just seeing, like, a big studio like that, it was it was, was kind of weird for me because I classify myself as, like, a small, a small city girl from Buffalo. Like, you don't expect yourself to go from Buffalo to a national podcast, especially, and then go to their one of their headquarters in D.C. Like, you don't expect that, yeah. <laughs> you know? So it was new. And what about the whole the whole production being put together into this podcast form? As you're talking about it, coming to Buffalo, doing things <laughs> at school, coming into Washington, D.C., all these different things, going to competitions— all of that, that's a lot of recordings and a lot of yes. writing and a lot of this and that. And then it all comes together. What, what Can you describe what that feels like and what, what you saw and how maybe how it opened your eyes to, to some different things? The feeling of actually hearing everything, especially like the hard nights and stuff like that. And then the thing about me hearing my voice is like, oh, I actually remember recording that. And we were, I was on Zoom that day. Or like, it's like, I actually remember recording this and we were, you know, nonstop working this day. Just hearing everything come together. It's like a breath, a breath of fresh air, but it's like, it doesn't really last too long because as soon as the episode <laughs> really gets dropped, you know, we bask in it for like a couple hours and it's like, it's back to work the next day. But like just the initial process of, of it being produced, it's a big thing because, you know, things like this doesn't really come out of Buffalo, especially as a Buffalo native. Things like this don't really come about, you know, it's it's things that other people get chosen for, you know, and not especially like our youth. That's not something that we really get, you know, the spotlight on. So getting the opportunity to hear it produced. It, my first time, honestly, hearing everything cut and, you know, scrambled together with the music, it was like I said, it was refreshing. You know, it it felt good to feel that my hard work and my, you know, my base family's hard work came together and made something that's going to impact and still people are honestly really listening to. You know, there was also that fear of us putting all this work in and everybody doing this hard work and nobody listening. But in reality, <laughs> it's like, no, people are really listening and this is real. So, Absolutely. Nakia McCann is our guest here on uh, Buffalo What's Next, uh, the host of the NPR podcast, Embedded Buffalo Extreme. Check it out for yourself. Uh, we got uh, just a, a little more time together, and I want to touch on a, uh, maybe a couple other things. Mm -hmm. First of all, um, how about for you? Has this been a satisfying experience? 
Uh, has it been a growing experience? Yes, it's definitely been a growing experience. I could definitely say I kind of been moving out of my fear of being a public speaker because <laughs> I, I really have no choice. Um, but it's definitely a, a good experience. I've learned a lot of things. I've definitely get in touch with a lot of good resources and people that I've met, you know. And also, I met people that like I'll hear on the radio, and it's like, oh, I actually see you in person. I like I could put a uh, name to a face. Um, this whole process has honestly taught me like a lot of things. Not only just with school, but just with speaking, is that I can multitask pretty well. Um, well it sounds like. You and can I've also been learning better time management. You know, I've also been learning how to stay organized and how to. Usually when you get it, when I get up in the morning, when I used to get up in the morning, I check social media immediately. Now I feel like when I, when I get up in the morning, I check my email. That's the first thing <laughs> I check now when I get up, you know, those, you know, emails from either Katie or, you know, Marianne or just, just small things. Um, it just taught me to be a little bit, you know, I'm, I was always responsible, but it taught me to be more responsible, you know, cause it's not just my name on the line or it's not just my feelings. It's everybody's that's involved too. And just the responsibility of, having to, you know, carry myself to a, a keep continue carrying myself into a high standard. And it just taught me how to be a little bit more me. Um, because I'm not used to speaking. I'm not used to talking. I'm you know, I'm shy because I don't talk in person, but like, you know, when you get that one on one, it's like, oh, you can talk, you know. So I've been peeking into that more and I'm definitely grateful that I had a chance to do it and I'm still doing it. Um a little more of a serious question, but we kind of touched on this a little mm -hmm. bit before about the young people and how they've been impacted by 514 in, in Buffalo. And sometimes, you know, you're asking a lot of questions about <laughs> things, but I'm wondering if you've heard ideas or, or uh, solutions, probably not the right word either, but what, we, what can we do for these young people who have been impacted? And it's not just the kids on the base team, and it's mm -hmm. kids all over east side neighborhoods who are probably just like the the kids on the base team who have been impacted what can we what can be done what should we be doing to help out these kids um i feel like what should be done is just honestly always offering that helping hand whether that's one kid that comes or that's five kids that come kids especially like um black kids they're not used to having you know therapy or having that um, sense of I can communicate. So if you start it young and you start with the youth that's, you know, already here, when they grow up, they'll be, you know, better at talking to a therapist, better at counseling. You know, they won't be so on edge about a lot of things. Their mental will start going down. Emotional will start going down. Um, we've talked about this as well in the podcast. Like a lot of African-Americans don't like um, the sense of having to be in a, in a situation where they have to talk to a therapist. But we've been also learning that if we start them young on it, they'll be more comfortable with doing it. Like Demi and Denver, for an example, they, you know, started into counseling and therapy. And I'm pretty sure when they get older, that'll be something that they can honestly reach into an outlet, a positive way, and not look at it as like, you know, this is for pity, you know. And it's more like, you know, I actually, this person does care about me. This person in the seat does, you know, relate to me and they care. I feel like one thing that Buffalo could definitely do is, Stop making things a one a one time thing, and what I mean by that is just they focus on what happens in the now and what doesn't come after. You know, when that happened, they offer they offered counseling, they offered therapists, but after that, there was nothing else. After that week of you know the media was gone, <clears throat> you know people stopped coming to visit. After that, there was no 
after care. You know, continue caring for these kids after things like this happen. And even when things like this don't happen, continue the aftercare. You know, a lot of people always focus on the negative of our youth and not on the positive, which can be, you know, start just small seminars or make more programs available like BASE. You know, make more, you know, extracurriculars where students can get in and be like, you know, I don't have anything else to do after school, but at least I can go to base or at least I can go to, you know, this, you know, this place and feel okay. Or I can feel like, you know, I can do my homework and talk to somebody. It just, it just starts small in the community and not just starting one thing and not continuing it. You're also a social work major at Virginia (laughs) State University. Do you see this tying in in a lot of ways? Yes, I definitely see this tying in. I've actually been like using it a little bit in my essays, like, you know, just, me taking like psychology classes and you know learning different things about different you know egos and attitudes and how therapy does help and how you know different things correlate with each other me being in social work too has honestly helped this process as well because it's like now I really am invested in my future after I get my degree which is now do maybe want to go into a therapeutic podcast or maybe I do want to go into the school system and be you know that therapist um Social work and the NPR podcast have definitely tied in a whole bunch and it's definitely helped me with, you know, my assignments at school because it's like before I was like, you know, I can't do this because I don't have anything that I can personally relate to. And that's what social work and, you know, social sciences is. It's kind of relating to yourself as well. Um, And I've definitely been doing that. Like some of the questions that I've been getting, like, you know, on my homework or in the essay, it's like I can answer them with a split now because I also have not just a textbook you know, perspective, but I also have a perspective of I've been through it and I know people that have also been through it. Um, and I'm actually glad that I'm doing social work because it definitely tells me that I chose the right major for me. What uh, what made you go into the social work major in the first place? What was that? What was the concept? <laughs> then it's, it's probably yeah. hard to think back now no, after this year of doing this podcast. It's always the same thing. Me wanting to go into social work is me being from Buffalo. The fact that there's also a negative look on social work which is cps always taking kids or whatever but Mm. there's also a positive thing to it which is social social services is also there for you know therapeutic reasons which is sometimes i've been learning like you get removed from a home for different things it's not just one thing um i just been learning too that social work me doing it is definitely a part of why i want to do it which is there's not many community service things or community-based things in Buffalo to help kids. And I always said this, when I come, when I get my degree and I finally settle on things and be financially, you know, stable, I want to come back to Buffalo and give that back to the, you know, the younger generation in my community. And that just comes from me being in base as well. Like, I've, you know, saw our struggle. I've saw certain kids having to drop because they don't have the finances. I've saw, you know kids that's just like you know they have the deep and love and passion for it but they just can't do it because of things at home or you know stuff like that so me just being from buffalo and me seeing things like especially me leaving living on the east side it just showed me that there's stuff that needs to be done for younger kids and it's not being done in the right way so me being from a small city and just from a city of you know especially on the east side that's mainly violence and it's mainly like another kid in the streets today or it's another kid that you see walking by or you see on the news that's like during you know sadly they lost their lives to violence and it's like maybe if we put more community things in the neighborhood 
data be something where it's like, you know, I saved this kid from going home and doing stuff that they don't have any business. You know, a community center just placed in another area can also just stop, try to stop that barrier of the streets versus real life. And you kind of answered my question, <laughs> but you're coming back to Buffalo. Yes. Uh, I plan on coming back at, um, after hopefully I get my degree and I find I think you're going to get your job. degree. I'm pretty, yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty confident after talking to you for the last hour, so you're going to um, get that done. <laughs> I definitely plan on coming back and trying to see, like, my options and definitely work with my aunt because, you know, she runs base as well. She also, her, um, her fiancé, her husband, is also in charge of Crucial. So I've been, like, What's looking, Crucial? Um, It's a community center um, okay. that they've been with each other. Like, that's been a thing even before base was there as well. Um, I just plan on, after getting my degree, that I can come back in. Even if it's just a small thing with me, um starting a scholarship at base because I've been actually thinking about it is putting a scholarship in my name and having, you know, them decide and also me decide who will be best fit for it. You know, it's not even about just best cheer ability. It's also about what makes you, you know, you and what makes you a good cheerleader. I've been, you know, looking into research on how to give <laughs> scholarships, you know, and also trying to find the finances, like, you know, keep the finances as well because that's my next step is trying to, after I get my degree is, hopefully put in a scholarship in my name, not only just for base kids, you know, started for the base kids, but then hopefully turn it into like a real scholarship one day. And uh, finally, what about the value of uh, of doing cheerleading and dance at a place <laughs> like base or for our yeah. base? You can, we can give, a, give them a, um, a bit of a plug here. Honestly, the value of doing cheer at base has changed me in a lot of different ways. Like, just on my confidence and me feeling like I can do anything, which is just from excuse me, the coaching staff, my aunt, my mom, like, I feel like if you put kids into things that they want to do early, you set them up for greater success, especially when you put them in things like base, which is, you know, a predominantly black gym. You put them in things where representation is, is trend, like it's there every day. You know, um, the importance and the value of cheerleading, especially with All-Star is, all-star cheer is definitely a sport. <laughs> Anything <laughs> that you put your body through, you know, mentally, physically, um, and emotionally is definitely a sport. You know, um, cheer is one of those values where it teaches you not only respect and integrity, but it also teaches you how to work with other people. And I was just, as you were talking about the competitions, um, I was going to maybe have you talk a little bit about what happened with the competitions, but... Maybe we shouldn't. Uh, it's a, be a little bit of a spoiler, right, for people who haven't heard <laughs> yes, the podcast, right? Uh, I definitely recommend if you want to hear about the competitions, uh, listen to the podcast. It's a story <laughs> worth hearing, isn't it? It's definitely a story worth hearing. It's definitely a a little turning point in the podcast. Excellent. Wow. Nakaya McCann, thanks so very much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. It was an absolute pleasure, Nakaya, and I've I've got to meet a national podcast host, <laughs> which I'm I'm thrilled. I'm not, I'm, I'm all starry eyed about that. Uh, yes, Nakaya McCann is from Buffalo. She's a student at Virginia State University, and she is also the host of the NPR podcast Embedded Buffalo Extreme. This has been Buffalo. What's next on WBFO and WBFO HD One Buffalo, WOLN Olean, and WUBJ Jamestown, your NPR station.